Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello, and welcome to Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs in Canada. I'm your host, Stephen Van Lothen. My goal is to introduce you to many of the amazing Indigenous entrepreneurs from across Turtle Island, those who are doing great things for their people, their communities, and this nation we call Canada. It's high time Canadians knew just how big of an impact Indigenous entrepreneurs are having, locally, regionally, and nationally. With me today is Chelsea Petit, founder of Ani Retail Inc., an innovative department concept housing over 30 Indigenous brands and collaborations with Indigenous artists. Her company acts as both an online platform and physical storefront in downtown Toronto. Chelsea is Anishinaabe Kwe from Anjanong First Nation, Ontario. She is an aspiring leader and mentor, and who has a mission to give Indigenous youth the tools that they need for success. Chelsea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So, you know, let's start out with taking it back to, to where you're from. Uh, you know, you're from, you're from Southwestern Ontario. Can you tell us a bit about like, where you come from and your upbringing and how that led to you becoming an entrepreneur? For sure. So I grew up in Sarnia, Ontario, about 10 or 15 minutes away from Amjanong Reserve, which I'm a member of. And um, yeah, growing up, I grew up in a lot of very predominantly white neighborhood schools. Um, and I didn't really feel included a lot in my upbringing. Um, my dad, he was adopted in the 60s, um, but he doesn't classify as himself as like a like 60 scoop survivor because um, when his mom gave him up, she was 16 years old and she purposely gave him up. So he feels a very disconnect in terms of 60s scoop being adopted in the 60s. Um, so yeah, basically he was adopted into a, what I thought was a, actually like a white family for the majority of my childhood until in my late teens, my dad and I were talking and he's like, oh yeah, like grandma B, like her land on the reserve. And I was like, like what? what are you talking about? Like grandma B doesn't have land on the reserve. Like grandma B is not native. And he's just like, no, she is. <laughs> <laughs> so I had no clue because she basically, like I knew that I was native and that my dad was native, but I had no clue that the, like his mom who raised him was native at the time. So basically um, she was a member of Amjanong First Nations and that's how I'm a member of Amjanong First Nations. So um, it's like a really, very interesting story, um, but I do have my dad's adopted uh, or uh, biological family. They're from Walpole Island, so we actually know them. We reconnected with them when I was probably about like 10 or 11 years old. Um, she, like my uh, grandma reached out to my dad um, without permission um, and basically had contacted him and said that she wanted to meet. So I remember the day that like my dad sat us down telling him that we always knew that he was adopted and we always knew where he came from, but we didn't know who his family was. Mm -hmm. So I remember being so excited to like go to the reserve and meet them and like just kind of have this like whole new experience with people who I feel like a little bit more like connected with as family. Um, so it's always a very touchy subject with my dad. Cause like, he's like, no, my parents are my parents. Like, I, I don't care who actually like birthed me and like all of these other things, but I have a bigger, a very strong, uh, desire to connect with our biological family on Walpole as well. So for a long time, uh, they would come out to basketball games and tournaments and birthday parties. And then all of a sudden they just like weren't around. 
Um, and I found out later in life it was because my dad decided that um, it was just hurting his mom. Like his mm. mom raised him. Um, she felt like she was kind of getting replaced and out of respect for her, he didn't want to continue that relationship. So kind of made that decision for the whole family without telling us. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, for the last, I think, I don't know, like seven or eight years, we've had each other on Facebook. So we're always like messaging each other, happy birthday and stuff like that. And I was able to go back to the reserve as an adult um, just uh, earlier this year in the springtime. So it was really nice to just go in and get to spend some time with them um, and just know that like, even though my parents have this like certain connection with them, it's not the same one that I have. So um, yeah, it was like a pretty crazy, like last 20 years, I guess, because <laughs> I'm now 29. But uh, yeah, everything comes like full circle. And I was helping my aunt with like um, her business. She just opened up a new business on Walpole, like uh, in Wallsburg. So basically, um, it's called Ode Mini Gizas, and uh, they're a cafe. It's own, uh, it's run and owned by uh, my aunt and cousin, uh, Amy White and Chloe White. So uh, we actually just went down for the grand opening a few weeks ago, and the food was amazing. So <laughs> <laughs> highly recommend it if you're in Wallsburg area. Yeah, that's that's super. So you've got uh, you've got cousins that are that are also entrepreneurs. Yep. And I was reading that you went to school for fashion. Is is that correct? And and you actually tried but didn't complete for, yep. for you know uh, multiple instances. Can you tell us about that experience? Of course. So I'm a three time college dropout. Um, I've tried to go to school for fashion design, optician school, and uh, a quick little blip in business. So um, basically, when I was 18, I wanted to get as far away from Sarnia as possible. So I chose Ottawa. <laughs> so I went to Ottawa for fashion. And um, yeah, I wasn't really prepared for that whole experience um, of like high paying rent, uh, expensive grocery costs, just being out in the world for the first time, and then a fashion school program on top of that. A lot of the times I was spending $300 biweekly on school supplies. Wow. So Oftentimes it would be, do I want to buy this like expensive silk that my teacher told me that I have to get because I wasn't allowed to use polyester or do I buy groceries this week? <laughs> so after three months, I started to um, like my work. I worked at Lens Crafters at the time and I've always worked in retail. I really enjoy it. Um, so my work would call me at school and be like, hey, Chelsea, like this person called in sick. Do you want to come in? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I'm at school. Like leave me alone. And then a few weeks go by and I'm like, I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> I started to slowly miss too much class. And I just figured like, if I'm making money and I'm living in Ottawa and I can't support myself, I might as well just make money and support myself. So um, I started working full time as a sales associate, um, selling glasses for a while, which then led me into wanting to go to school for optician program. But I am not a student. It's it's not the best thing for me. I really enjoyed working in glasses. I did it for about five years. Um, I even was a manager at a center direct, like a center director at LASIK MD for a little bit, um, where I had to basically deal with these like very high intense uh, surgery schedules with like thousands of customers coming in a week, and sometimes the laser would shut off, and we'd have to postpone like a hundred like surgeries in a day, and then reschedule them. And, it was pretty fun, um, but after a while, I decided I really liked retail, and I went back to um, my retail job. So I've been a store manager for about seven years. And so, how did you make the leap from there to becoming 
entrepreneur of of your your current business so i was actually walking the street in downtown toronto and i thought i saw someone wearing indigenous syllabics on their shirt and in that moment i felt very included in downtown toronto i felt seen kind of for the first time in the city and i had so many questions i wanted to run up and ask this person what language was it in um like what did it say and where could i get one and as i got closer i realized it was actually just a triangle so I, my excitement deflated, but I'll never forget that feeling of like feeling included and feeling like somebody thought that indigenous syllabics on clothing was cool enough to wear in downtown Toronto. And I thought it was cool enough. <laughs> so I just jumped into action and I just really wanted to create visibility for indigenous people, indigenous languages, and just starting the conversation because it's really something that I never even experienced in all of my years in retail. Um, the only like indigenous stores are now Manitoba, but when I was first starting out, um, maybe like 10 years ago, um, it would just be gift shops, like selling like made in China totem poles and stuff like that. So there wasn't anything that I felt like really represented me and my experiences as an indigenous youth or indigenous person in Canada at the time. And so you went about creating the business. I mean, tell us a bit about that journey. Like who supported you? How did you how did you actually go about starting that business? So I bootstrapped the whole thing. Um, I knew that if because I have all of these years in retail management and sales, I knew that if I had a product, a place and myself there, I could easily sell anything. Um, so I basically just started getting inventory and I started off through drop shipping. So that whole interaction happened on a Sunday afternoon. And by Wednesday, I had a whole website up and running with five designs, uh, five different translations. Uh, two of them I still have today. I use my Anin, of course, and then Goin Gayabi, which means no more. And I chose no more because I really see it being a general statement to a lot of the issues that indigenous communities face across Turtle Island. Um, and it's now growing into like one of my uh, foundational brands where I'm starting to use it as impact for donating to different causes that I believe in. Um, when I first started, I was like, knew that that was my goal, but I just wanted to be able to really create that brand around that as well. Um, I love marketing and I love branding. So um, yeah, when I got started, I started off drop shipping and I realized right away that that was not a good way to um, brand my business because my business is about starting the conversation Anin means hello in Anishinaabe Moan. And I have my slogan as every conversation starts with Anin. So I actually started sewing QR codes into the bottom of all the apparel. So you can actually wow. go to the translation page for each design. So that was a big component for me. Um, I shut down the drop shipping website so that I could take the small profit that I made. I made like $800. Um, we made $3,000 in sales, but drop shipping so expensive. So $800 profit. I bought some blank t-shirts, uh, some patches made overseas, and QR codes embroidered um, overseas as well. So I started self-assembling all the garments in my kitchen, and I went to my first market at Stacked um, in October 2021. So just a couple months after I started the business, um, I saved together about $1,200 and made $1,200 at like of inventory at the time, and I sold $4,000 that weekend. Wow. So I was like, pretty pumped and just knew that I had to keep going. So that was my first ever market. I've always wanted to vend at a market. I just never knew what I was going to sell. Um, so I was really, really pumped to be able to experience that. But um, yeah, and the next few months after that, it was Christmas. I did 13 markets 
up until Christmas time, literally in just like a month and a half. It was very tiring, but um, we did about $15,000 of gross revenue. I was making all the garments and selling them and also going to work full time. It was a lot. So in January, I decided to slow it down and just kind of like take my time. I didn't want to like really start self-assembling garments anymore. I wanted to um, outsource it. So I was looking into different ways to be able to do that. But um, yeah, I wasn't really 100% there yet. Um, I met at my first market, Resonance Printing in London. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. But um, yeah, Adam and Daniel and Sav, they came running around the corner and they're like, Anin! And um, they were like, literally got there just as I was all packed up at my first market. And uh, they were just like, oh my God, we were walking by and we saw you on the sign. Like, we thought that was so crazy. We'd never seen an indigenous business in this area of town. So they came over and they just tried to like buy everything that I could. I was like unpacking things from boxes. We were pretty sold out at the time, but anything that fit them, they bought. <laughs> so that's how I got connected with them. And we started doing uh, printing with uh, Resonance back in, yeah, I guess like around like that same time. It was like December 2021. And it was nice having that like stable relationship with another indigenous supplier who just like gets what I'm doing, gets why I'm doing it. And yeah, it's like a relationship that we still have today. Um, yeah, they're just like amazing to work with. So it's gone through a few different stages, but that was really like the first year of my business. Um, and I think it's, it's important to, to, to just, you know, reflect on the impact that people seeing their language, their culture um, on a brand when they're out in the street and how it made you feel and how it made other people feel like that's got to be incredibly rewarding. Yeah. I feel like it's the only thing that keeps me going most days. Um, like when I had that whole experience with the triangle story, um, actually almost a full year later, it was on indigenous people's day. I was going over to, um, the Tuckerando festival at the Harbor front. And, um, on my walk there, I ran into a customer who was wearing my sweater. So I actually got to see it for the first time being used in downtown Toronto almost a year from that exact moment and on Indigenous People's Day. And it had nothing to do with like where we were going or anything. It was just so crazy. <laughs> just a person walking down the street wearing yeah. clothing. Yeah, so cool. Certainly memorable. Now, you touched on supporting causes. I know that that's, you know, foundational to most, if not all Indigenous entrepreneurs. They yeah. build a component within their business model that has a pay it forward, a give back yeah. component to it. Tell us a bit about, you know, why that's important to you and what yours is, because you said you support a number of causes. Yeah, so it's actually really funny because when I first opened up my store um, in May 2022, I basically was not expecting the amount of people to walk into the store being like, do you donate all of your money? <laughs> and I was like, we have to have like a business. Like we need to like support ourselves. It's expensive being in downtown Toronto. So um, when I first started, I really just like talked about the mission of what I am hoping to accomplish. So I think that a lot of the paying it forward is like through action with like selling other indigenous brands inside of the store. Um, when I first started, I had a feeling that we were like, just everybody was missing a department store space that sells multiple indigenous businesses and brands, um, is able to storytell authentically and basically provide like floor space for indigenous entrepreneurs to finally get out and see their products 
in third-party retailers that aren't considered um, like people who have done like years of colonial harm. So it's like, I really thought that if I just popped up at Stacked, I had uh, brought 10 businesses into the space and we sold out of every single um, item. So at the time, uh, the biggest question was like, well, what are you doing with all the money? And like, what are you doing with this? And I was like, I just spent all of my money <laughs> trying to make this happen. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with any of this. Um, so it's something that I've really like put into practice over like the last few years. Um, is trying to like balance wanting to be able to support causes. So what we do is like, um, even this year with Orange Shirt Day, we weren't able to donate any money because the costs of the orange shirts cost me $20,000 and we only made back $20,000. So I'm sure next year that's something that we'll be able to actually try to do donations for. But um, in my first year of business, I partnered with a bead worker um, for Red Tukes and we're bringing them back this year. So uh, we donated, I think, $12 to the Native Women's Resource Center per toque. And um, we basically made 20 of them the first day and they sold out in 24 hours. Oh, wow. so, so, so we made another 20 and then they sold out again in another 24 hours. So we sold 40 pairs of toques in less than two days. So this year I have 100 toques and we're going to be partnering with um, either Thunder Woman Lodge in Toronto or Native Women's Resource Center. And we're going to be paying um, like Indigenous bead workers to be able to make some patches with us. So they're beaded patches that I sewed into the hats. And uh, we're hoping to create sign of like, I don't know, because like it's helping us build our inventory, but it's also paying people directly. I think my biggest motive is always making sure that money ends up in Indigenous hands as opposed to like, I don't think that like, people shouldn't donate to charity. But I think that the biggest thing for economic impact and reconciliation is making sure that Indigenous people directly have money. So I'm always looking for a way to like pay Indigenous suppliers, pay Indigenous um, people, artists, uh, brands, businesses, um, any sort of supply chain, stuff like that. So it's difficult trying to piece that all together when you're just having a customer walk into the store and they're like, well, where do you donate your money? And it's like, don't have to because we have such like a solid business model of being an ecosystem and supporting other indigenous businesses and people. Um, but obviously if I ever do make a huge profit, I have ideas to kind of like basically have the, the Gawingiabi foundation donating certain portions of the proceeds to, um, I chose it to be like no more because I thought it could be like no more unclean drinking water, no more stolen sisters, no more child welfare systems. Um, you can really decide where it goes to each month. So I thought that would be like a great way to like, not like focus on like all of the issues all of the time, but like monthly we can actually support the causes and bring more attention to it um, throughout the year. So yeah, there's all, I'm, my brain's always turning. So <laughs> <laughs> as it is with every entrepreneur. Yeah. Tell me, you know, a lot of successes, a lot of challenges. What have been some of those challenges that have been unique to you as, a, as an owner, but perhaps as an Indigenous business owner as well? And how did you overcome them? Yeah, I think my biggest one still is that I don't have any funding. So um, I went to my IFI um, in Toronto back in, I think, May last year. And, and the IFI is the Indigenous Financial Institution. Yeah, Exactly. So um, I had like spent a full week doing this business plan. Um, it was after our first week open in store. We did $7,000. So 
I knew that like we had just opened up our store for the first week. We did seven grand and we were running out of inventory really quickly. So, and I didn't have the means to like keep making it at the speed and capacity that I was making it previously. Um, so basically I had worked with my husband. Um, he's like very educated and like a lawyer. So he's very like good at writing. So I just like talked to him about all of the things that I wanted to do. And he put it into a business plan and we worked really hard on it for like a whole week. And we sent it to the IFI and they didn't even send us anything other than a PDF that said rejected on it. (laughs) So it's like, there wasn't like a lot of support there. Um, And those are stories that I've had with other entrepreneurs that are frequently happening um, throughout the IFI space and funding space. And the only way to access grants is through these IFIs. So don't mean to call them out, but I kind of do. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, I, I've had a similar experience. And yeah. you know, I mean, from my experience, it's been if you if you want something, if you want to purchase something that they can repossess, they're more than happy. But when you want yeah. to start a business, whether it be in digital or a space like this, you know, mm-hmm. there's nothing to, re- to repossess. Therefore, no. you're not going to be funded. So it is a challenge for many entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's something that I wasn't really prepared for, like, everyone coming up to me when I was first starting, they were like, not really like feeding me the Kool-Aid, but they were just like, you're going to have so much like grants. You're going to have this and you're going to have that. You're going to have so much support. And I was like, okay, cool. Nothing could go wrong then. If I'm already making money and I just need a little bit more money to get it going, I think I'll do great. So I, two years later, I'm still bootstrapping the business. Um, I've put myself into like a lot of debt, um, like not really um on purpose like it's not like i went to the bank and got a line of credit it's like i've put my business in debt to me i don't even know where any of this money came from i haven't been paid for like a job since may of 2022 and any speaking gig that i get any anything extra i throw into the business so i've accumulated a pretty good like lump sum for myself whenever it will become profitable but it's just (laughs) still need money to actually make it profitable Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 so, who has been your 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 biggest mentor or you know rock to help you deal with those ups and downs? Yeah, I mean, there's a few different ones. I feel like it's like all the vendors inside of my store. So um, when I opened, we basically had ten vendors, and then all of a sudden we had twenty five, and I was working on a consignment model. And it's so nice because a lot of the businesses, they're large and small. Like we have some cheekbone beauty, but we also have like local beadwork artists. So everyone's kind of coming in and checking up on me. So it's like not really one person all the time. It's more of like everyone just kind of like keeping me on track throughout like the last year specifically. Um, But now I have like mentors like Sean McCormick from Manitoba Mucklucks, like Jen Harper from Cheekbone Beauty. She's always a huge asset for me. Um, and then even like Leslie Hampton, she was one of like my earliest like cheerleaders where <laughs> I emailed her and I had no clue. This is like my second month open. And I was like, hi, like, I would really love to sell your products. I know that you have like contracts with the Bay, but if there's any like way to get around non-competes and stuff like that, I'd love to carry your products. And the next like day, she like sent me an email being like, I'd be so honored. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she like literally dropped off the stuff like few days later and um yeah like we both really have each other's backs like if she's going to somewhere that she knows that I didn't get an invite to she usually brings me if I go somewhere I try to bring her it's like pretty reciprocal and um yeah so I have like a whole team of people and of course all of our ancestors behind us so 
feel like that's really what keeps me going all the time is just knowing that like I'm never alone when I am even alone. <laughs> so it, it, yeah. it sounds like, you know, the, the model that you've created is really one that's focused on community and, and yeah. that is still keeping with, you know, our, our, uh, Anishinaabe values, you know, community yeah. and, and supporting one another and that there have really been foundational to your yeah. success, but also helping you address the challenges that business owners face. Yeah. I even, um, when I started with consignment, everyone was like, you know, you need to charge more. And I was like, no, I only want to take 15% from the other businesses because they don't know if I'm going to sell their stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to instill trust. And like, I want to have that sort of like face value. Like I don't, or I just don't want to have like face value. I want to actually have the follow through. Like I know as an indigenous entrepreneur, you're constantly promised things that just don't happen. So basically I didn't want to be another person that is promising my community something and then not able to follow through with it. So I'm always keeping everyone like very up to date. Um, but now that we're finally able to make like, I've made over $600,000 in the last two years. Wow. Um, so now I feel like I've built up the credibility. <laughs> My vendors know I'm not going to run away with their money or their products. So now we're switching to a wholesale model so that I can actually start to support myself and start to become a more profitable business. So we can keep this going because if I did this last year, I don't think I'd have the relationships that I have right now but I would have a lot more money and I don't think I'd be in the position that I'm in, but I just have to kind of go back and forth and just see what I need at the time. And cause like, you just don't want to take too much and like ruin, ruin, like ruin relationships with people that you really care about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and finally, what, uh, what's next for you? What, uh, what's on the horizon? So we're kind of in limbo right now. Um, we were supposed to stay at Stacked for a year and I decided really recently that we're going to be closing the store. Um, I think it's important to make sure that I'm able to um, maintain the staff relationships that I have while also being able to benefit it, like from myself as well. So I've worked with a lot of interns and I have like three or four part-time staff right now, but I have one full-time marketing associate. So she's kind of like, this is her full-time job. The other students are students and they'll have a job next year when we're in better footing. Um, and we'll still be able to work somewhat throughout like the next year together. But just having the store, it's a lot of resources and a lot of overhead. So kind of just trying to make sure that I am able to run a like a profitable business over the next year and making smart decisions. So I feel like I've never made more decisions in the last two months than I have in the whole time the business has been alive. <laughs> so um, we were looking at a pop-up at the Eaton Center and then that fell through. We were supposed to do that November 1st if it worked out. And then um, now that got me into talking to Yorkdale Mall and then Yorkdale Mall has me talking to Square One. Mm -hmm. And um, we're kind of like looking around right now. But um, yeah, I think just taking a step back and just really reassessing all of our finances all of our plan and strategy. I didn't mean to start the business. It just kind of happened. So I think really just taking time this year to rebalance the scales and just really focus on our future, um, like on Ani and all of our vendors and all of the partners that we want to work with as well. So, yeah, just. So, it, and, you know, it, and that's a great way to, to, move forward is taking a step back to reflect on it, making sure that you have what you need to move forward in a good, focused, balanced way. Yeah. Right. Um, 
And before we wrap here, we always end with a rapid fire, a little way to get to know you outside of the <laughs> outside of the interview. So uh, got a couple of quick questions over here and just comes to, you know, bring whatever comes to your head. Okay. What's your what's your go to mantra or motto that keeps you motivated? Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> if you could have dinner with any business leader, either living or historical, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a good one. I would have to say Warren Buffett just because <laughs> I need to know his secrets so we can turn them into indigenous secrets and start that economic growth, you know? <laughs> and what's the most surprising thing that you've learned while being on your journey? That... Actually, I had an answer for this that I literally have just been talking about recently, but I think it's about putting yourself forward um, because you're the one who, oh, I know. Okay. So I've been working a lot with contractors and um, it's good to take advice from other people, but at the end of the day, you're the person who has to clean up after they're gone. So I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned is you can have contractors, you could be paying them well, you could be paying them cheaply, you could be paying them a premium. It doesn't matter. Like they're the ones that are there to consult you. But at the end of the day, if you don't believe in what they're talking about or if they don't believe in what you're saying, then there's not really a point to even continuing that relationship because if you do what they say and you're not happy with it, you're the one who has to fix it after they're gone. So that's the biggest thing that I've learned recently. And can you share a book or resource that has an impact on your entrepreneurial mindset? Um, I read so many of them on audi like Audible, but I think Indigenomics is one of my favorites. And finally, what's one piece of advice you wish someone had given you when you first started your business? That businesses come from money and there's a reason why marginalized groups aren't in that category. So just kind of looking for the money first and building up a good foundation before taking the full launch. Excellent. Well, that is, uh, that is it for today's show. Chelsea, I want to thank you for, for joining us on Canada's podcast and uh, look forward to seeing what comes next with Anin. Amazing. Chi miigwech for having me. Great. Miigwech.